Well, here we are, season two of the Clayton Castle podcast. My name is Clayton Castle, and I'm so excited to be back telling stories of interesting and fascinating people here in the greater Cincinnati community. We have a great first guest lined up for this season. He is a great friend of mine, a mentor of mine, someone who everyone knows in the Cincinnati area if you like sports. So that's a little bit of a tease for what's coming up this episode. As for the season, there are some big changes coming along the way. There will be no mailbag segment, and we are going weekly, not bi-weekly, but weekly. So I'm so excited to share even more stories, and I'm also excited to announce there will be a Clayton Castle podcast blog. Now I know what you're thinking. Why would a podcast also need a blog? Well, let me tell you why. We are going to have extra stuff on there. We're going to have resources from the guests if they are a charitable organization or someone who is fighting for a cause. So we're going to post their resources on there. We might post some extra stories that were told maybe off the podcast or maybe even some audio that we didn't get to use in the regular podcast. So that's all coming down the pipeline. I'm going to kind of fiddle with that this season see what comes of that. See if we like it. See if we don't. I'm just really excited for what this season will become. All right, with all that being said, I am so pumped and so ready to welcome my next guest to the podcast. As I said, he is a friend of mine. He is a mentor of mine. When I was first starting out in the media business, in television, he was there to help me with my demo reel, give me great feedback, and just be an awesome guy to be around. I'm so excited, so happy, so pumped to welcome WLWT Sports Director George Vogel to the Clayton Castle Podcast. That's coming up next. Welcome back to the Clayton Castle podcast. I am so excited for this first guest. He is one of my mentors. He was very helpful when I was first getting in the business, when I was a production assistant at WLWT. I worked under him and Elise Jesse and Mark Slaughter in putting together a demo reel. And I still watch him on WLWT News 5. And I'm so excited, so happy, and so humbled. And I don't know how many other adjectives to use. I'm just trying to beef up this intro for Mr. George Vogel. (laughs) (laughs) That's you've done fine, my man. Good to see you, Clayton. Good to see you too. Thanks for joining me. And I wanted to have you on. Usually it's a feature kind of about the person, but everyone in Cincinnati knows who you are. So I don't really have anything interesting about (laughs) you. (laughs) Well, I want to get you on to talk about, well, what you know how to talk about, and that's sports, a state of Cincinnati sports podcast. Let's just start. With what's going on now, you're watching it. The yeah. Reds, yeah. as they stand, I believe they are one game in front in the wild card. Correct. Honest opinion. Do you think it lasts? I do. I, I think. Now look, the Padres are a pretty good team, and that West Division's loaded. Um, but I, I do. First of all, the schedule from here on out. I mean, the Reds. I, I was just looking at it yesterday, but it, they have like a dozen games left against the Pirates something like that, or 
or maybe uh, maybe it's a dozen counting the Pirates and the Marlins because they play the Marlins again. So they've got a pretty easy schedule down the stretch, no doubt about that. And quite honestly, watching them when they play well, I wonder why they're not in better shape than they are. Um, I, I don't quite get it how they're uh, kind of scuffling along, just you know, hanging on to that second wild card spot. I think they should be up there. Now the Brewers are playing out of their minds this year. Uh-huh. I didn't expect it to last, but it has. I mean, their starting pitching's been really good. We know about their bullpen. I didn't think the Brewers would keep doing what they're doing, and they have. But I thought the Reds would be battling for the division lead. I thought they would be playing a little better than they are. I know some people are surprised they're above 500, and I get it because it's been such a struggle for them over the years. But everything but that bullpen blowing up at the yeah. most inopportune times has held them back. I mean, they, they've got good offensive players. Um, they've got good starting pitching. It's just – and, you know, you, you look at a game like uh, – Tuesday night when it was Lorenzen that just couldn't get it. I mean, it, it's a different guy, and I feel bad for David Bell in that respect. What I don't feel bad about for David Bell is I go back to some games where, uh, you know, Sonny Gray's pitch six innings, probably has another inning in him. Uh, he doesn't let him come back out, and they bring in somebody, and then you're exposing that bullpen more than it should be exposed. And I know there's all those stats about going through the lineup a third time, but let some of that damage happen before you yank the starter that's having a pretty good night. So things like that, I think, just have held them back. And I I think they should be able to finish strong against this schedule and grab one of those playoff spots. But when you talk about David Bell, I, I think he's doing really well with what he was given. I think that you look at the players that he was given this year. I kind of play the what if game. What, where would this team be if they had actually addressed the bullpen in the offseason? Where would they be if they had not let go of Rysel Iglesias? We could be talking about a team that's 10 games up in the wild card or e- even leading the division. That is true. I mean, his hand, I, I just, I feel like given what he does have and and look the only complaint i have is is, is just and it, it's it's minuscule and david understands it because he knows that people who observe baseball always zone in on the manager and their moves right mm-hmm. the players have to get it done they're the ones that are getting paid to get it done i just think he could have done a little better job this year of not going through that bullpen so much because it seems like every time they have like three guys come out of the pen to finish off games or four guys. One of those guys has a terrible night that costs them the game. And it just seems like it happens over. And I just want to minimize the exposure those guys get. Maybe, you know, Lorenzen goes through and gets one, two, three, but he doesn't come back the next inning. Let him pitch another inning. If if it's his night, let him have a good night. That's my only complaint. Um, I think David Bell has done a terrific job of getting those guys to believe in themselves. Um, keeping things on an even keel because he's that kind of guy. And it's like, they've had some bad things happen, but it wasn't the end of the world because he didn't let it be the end of the world. He's done a good job of holding things together and not letting things go off the rails. And then I start looking at what appears to be a pretty darn good relationship he has with Joey Votto and the rejuvenation Uh of his game. And, you know, we saw some of it coming around last year, but boy, this run he's on, 
is as good as what he was doing during that MVP year and, and with maybe more power. I mean, it's unbelievable what he's been doing because I was really afraid he was washed up and you're counting the days when that contract's up. Now it's like, whoa, you know, yeah. this guy, even though he's what, 37, something like that, um, he may have two or three good years left, if not more. I think before the season, there was a debate about whether Joey Votto was in the Hall of Fame. I don't personally, I don't think there's a debate now. Yeah, I agree with you. And and I think even before, given how a lot of these voters now have taken to these sabermetric numbers and the I mean, he's a saber guy. Yeah. And so it would have been hard for them to look at some of these metrics he has and kept him out of the hall. Uh, when they're constantly talking about those numbers, uh, his on-base percentage and all of that has just been remarkable. And now you're starting to see the career numbers are adding up where, you know, he's got the 2000 hits and you're starting to see in that uh, the Reds historical records, you know, he's second to Pete Rose in a lot of things now. And that's saying something. And, and, and some of those records, you know, Pete's within reach. He may reach it and be number one on some of those lists. So uh, I, I don't see how they could possibly keep him out of the hall if he retires tomorrow. I really don't. Nick Castellanos. John Feyman tweeted today that Castellanos is likely to opt out of his contract, which I don't think anybody in Cincinnati would be surprised because mm-hmm. teams like the Yankees and the Dodgers, the, the big market teams will be will come calling. If that happens, where do the Reds go from there? Boy, I I don't know. I mean, they, they do have kind of a glut of outfielders if there's one. But you don't want to lose that one because he's an all-star outfielder. Right. But, you know, they, they you can't count on Nick Senzel because he's just mm. always hurt. And I don't know what's going on there. I know a little bit about what's going on, but I, I don't know that you can count on him. They're, they're, they may have to go out and find someone. They may have to trade. Um, because that's a lot of production they're going to lose. I mean, and a lot of clutch production. That dude has done it. You know, he he had some big, big hits earlier this season where they had to have something, and lo and behold, here comes Castellanos, and he does it. I just don't see any way the Reds are going to be able to match or come up with the money to keep him. You know, Scott Boris is his agent, mm-hmm. so that guy's looking for the pot of gold by every rainbow, and he usually gets it. And, and Nick's having the kind of year where he's going to be a coveted free agent. So yeah. I don't know where they go. They're going to have to, you know, maybe look at the trade market and who can they trade and who has value and what can they get. It, it's going to be very interesting again in the offseason. Um, you know, what do you do uh, with uh, Barrero when he comes up and, and stay? Well, he's up now, but I mean, when he takes over that shortstop job and what a job Kyle Farmer's done this year. But Kyle Farmer's yeah. got to go somewhere, and that dude can apparently play anywhere. I mean, I, I didn't realize how much, you know, he played shortstop before. And then you're thinking when he comes over from the Dodgers in that trade where he appeared to just be a throw-in, now right. he's it's amounted to anything, and he's a catcher, for God's sakes, a catcher and a utility infielder maybe, and then you see him play shortstop like that. So they've got some options, some things they can do. You know, what are they going to do with Suarez? And is, is uh-huh. you know, would a place like the Rockies take a flyer on him because they got that thin air out there and he may hit 60 home runs out there? I don't know. They've got 
as as good of a season as they're having, it's it, it could be a very interesting offseason because there could be a lot of movement. When you think about the future of the Reds, you have Hunter Green, Nick Lodolo. They have one of the top – I think I saw recently they have like the ninth best farm system in the league now, maybe even higher. I personally think they keep guys like Winker. They keep guys like uh, Tyler Stevenson, Jonathan India. This could be a really good team, uh, even better team in next year, two years, three years from now. You're right. Um, there, there's help on the way. Um, certainly, uh, Stevenson is a guy that you just mentioned that that he shouldn't be surprising to me. But you know what's surprising is there was no learning curve for that dude at the major league level. Right. And last year he played some and didn't get a whole lot of playing time and you know had the great first game that he his first appearance and all that and everybody hit. He is not really hit a lull this year when they've used him at all. He has shined. And the same with India, who, my God, if, if if you stuff a guy at Prasco Park for a year like they did him last year when they had that alternative training site, and he comes in and does this, holy smokes, I, I would have them all there for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I agree with you. The future is bright. Uh, the farm system, yeah, you're right. It's a top 10 now, whereas even a year ago, it was in the 20s, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that's because, you know, Hunter Green's taken off, Lindolo's panned out, uh, Barrero's panned out. Now they drafted the kid from UCLA, McLean, this year, who, you know, took off like a holy terror when he first started playing in the minors. So uh, there, there's a lot there for them to work with, and there's a lot of reason for Reds fans to be optimistic. It's just they've got to get over that hump, and I wish yeah. I knew how. I wish I knew why. Um, you mentioned the bullpen moves in, in the offseason or lack thereof. You know, you let a couple guys go, and, and they should have kept the dude they got from the Diamondbacks, and right now his name's escaping me, uh, that they picked up late in the season, like Archie. Uh, Archie Bradley. Archie Bradley. Yeah. Should have kept him. Mm-hmm. He wasn't making, you know, ridiculous money. Um, I, I just things like that kind of bothered a lot of people in the offseason and put them where they are here. They can't do that this offseason. Yeah, they may lose Castellanos, but you got to build on that pitching staff, shore up that bullpen, and you may not find a Nick Castellanos to play every day in right field, but a suitable replacement will be fine because this team does have a lot of offense, I think. All right, I want to move on to another team. This team I was gonna I was gonna ask you about third, but I'm so excited to talk to you about them that I'm gonna just do it now. And that is our beloved Bearcats mm-hmm. football team and Luke Fickle. So I was at WLWT. Let's see, that was 2016 because I remember Tuberville had just gotten fired, and you and I were talking. I remember we both wanted Kerry Combs. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and uh, when Luke Fickle got hired, we were like, I mean, we're not thrilled with it, but we'll see. Wow. Four years later, five years later, and he has this team eighth in the country in the preseason. Um, what what are your thoughts on this year, just in general? Well, yeah, the expectations. And, and, you know, after they did hire Fickle and you talk to some high school coaches, because that's where that's I mean, Luke's got a lot of strengths. And one of them is those high school coaches trust him, which means. The coaches that deal with the parents, they trust him. Uh And that leads to what we've seen. And that is just incredible recruiting. I mean, he has knocked it out of the park with that. Um, The fact that they have a quarterback coming back that is 
progressed the way Desmond Ritter has and, you know, is experienced the way he is and is just a proven winner. I Two years ago, they had a darn good year, and I'm looking at Ritter, and I'll watch him play live. I'll go to the games, and it's like, you know, there, there's things that you're like, he doesn't wow you with the arm or any, but by God, he's a winner. He just figures out a way to win games. And I, I think they're in good hands there. What they've done with that defense, and that defense could be very, very – I mean, mm-hmm. we always like to talk about the offense, and they're going to have a good offense. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I think they, they fixed what was semi-wide receiver issue where they didn't have a lot of depth, and they brought in a couple transfers, and, and you know, uh, they've got Alec Pierce, who's going to be phenomenal. Um, he, he should be back and healthy this year. But that defense is loaded. I mean, just loaded, and they brought in. And, and what's really cool about this team, and I love it, is some of these transfers that come in are kids who left Cincinnati and went to other programs and kind of saw, uh-huh. gosh, I can go home and be a part of something special there too. You know, I don't yeah. – the Joan Briggs. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> he came back. Darian Beavers came back when he went to yep. Connecticut. Then the young man, uh, Brian Cook, who went to Mount Healthy, and was playing at Howard and then comes back. He's going to be a starting safety. Um, yeah, that Briggs is terrific. I mean, I, I just I, – I can't wait to see. And they've got enough defensive linemen with, with Briggs, and you can just go right across that line. Yeah. Sanders is just – you know, he's going to be a first-round draft pick. Um, that they can rotate and stay fresh. And They hung with Georgia, for God's sakes. They yeah. hung with a top-tier SEC team, should have won that game. And in the past, UC was a team that might be able to flash and trash their way and hang in a game. But when push came to shove, they were going to get pushed and shoved around and lose that game. Didn't happen with the Georgia game. I mean, they they went blow to blow, blow by blow with them. And so I, I expect big things. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. We'll see how they handle it. And we're going to find out early. Um, you know, they got the road game at Indiana, which will not be easy. But I just do – as you can tell, I'm very excited about the Bearcats' prospects this season. They they could be very, very, very good. Uh, and I definitely agree. I'm a season ticket holder, so I'm I'm just pumped for the season. Um, when Marcus Fr- the Miami game, man, because I, I I'm on the visitor sideline though. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> I'm on the wrong sideline. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I actually upgraded my seats because there was no season last year. So they just moved my season tickets to this year for that. So I already paid, they're yep. already paid for. I was like, well, I mean, I had the money now. I'm just going to spend an extra hundred dollars to upgrade them for a year. Right. Um, so Mark, Marcus Freeman leaves for Notre Dame. Yep. Mike Trestle comes in. My, my favorite saying, I think it was Mo Ager who said, you know, Mike Trestle was handed the keys to a Ferrari with this defense. Yep. Is there any reason for concern with that with that uh, change on that defensive side? Well, I don't know. Um, my my bigger concern, and look, Marcus Freeman is terrific. He's going to be a head coach somewhere, and it could already be. He's had offers, and it just wasn't what he thought was the right situation. He's going to be a head coach and probably a darn good one. Um, my biggest concern is just kind of lies in the future with the recruiting aspect of it because Marcus was so good at that, and those kids loved him. However, Trestle was experienced, you know, did a fine job at Michigan State, 
uh, learned from good coaches. You know, his uncle was a pretty darn good coach at Youngstown State and Ohio State. And, and you know, he worked with Mark D'Antonio at Michigan State. I think he knows what he's doing. And what, what I liked about him as far as X's and O's are concerned as when he came in and he usually does a four-man front and all that, he's like, I'm not fixing something that's not broken. Right. This may not be my defensive philosophy, the way they line up, but I'm going to expand, you know, my thought process and take a look at this and see how it works. And so far, uh, he's he's done what he said he would do, and that's what they're going to do. And they'll have the three down linemen, the uh, three three five is usually what they do. And look, a lot of college systems are having to go to that because of these spread offenses and right. everything. It's just it's different. And uh, the, the offenses are different. So by golly, the defenses have to be. So I think that was a promising aspect of it. And it seems to me that that the players have bought in with him like they did with Marcus and that he's connected with them and he gets after it. He gets after it and gets them fired up. And, and so I think it will be a good fit. I know some people are a little aggravated because I guess he didn't leave on the best of terms when he was here before under D'Antonio and went to Michigan state and was kind of crowing about how they're going to a real school now or something mm-hmm. like that, or a real program. But um, a lot has changed since that's happened with UC as well. I mean, you know, and, and God bless him and, and Mark D'Antonio for laying the foundation. They let, la- they laid here before they left. Cause you know, Brian Kelly came in and he kind of had the keys to a Ferrari, but nobody knew it. Right. And he knew how to drive it too. <laughs> <laughs> I think he did pretty good. I think he did pretty yep. well here. <laughs> yep. He's done very well for himself at Notre Dame too. Um, speaking of Notre Dame, sort of, I know as a TV sports guy, your favorite topic to talk about is conference realignment. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, with obviously Texas and Oklahoma headed to the SEC, we, there's a general sense possibly maybe that this is going to start a new wave of conference realignment. If you're the Bearcats, what is the ideal situation? What's the ideal conference you want to find yourself in? Well, I think the realistic ideal one is the ACC. Mm-hmm. I think that's the real – I mean, the Big Ten would be phenomenal. That's probably not going to happen. I don't think Ohio State would ever let that happen. And the reason I would take Big Ten over ACC, well, number one, they make a lot more money right now. But look at all the drivable schools. And, and uh, one of the uh, – uh, coaches in town who, uh, or, or may have been an athletic director, had a son who went and played in the Big Ten. And I'm like, gosh, you know, was there any chance he was going to stay in Cincinnati? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, we thought about that. Da, da, da. And then we figured out, and, and the coaches recruiting against Cincinnati at this Big Ten school pointed out, you can pretty much drive to every game on the schedule this kid's going to play. Yeah, Because, you know, if he goes to Michigan, then you're going to Michigan State, you're going to Columbus, you're going to Purdue, you know, Indiana. You can drive to every one of those games. With Cincinnati being in the American, you can go to UC games at Nippert, but then everybody else, you know, you're pretty much not driving to those games. You're flying to them if you want to go. And so that was a big selling point. I think that would be a great thing when UC was in the Big East. And, gosh, you would have – you would have been young then, man. You would have been young, but to drive to a game at Louisville, drive to a game at Pitt, drive to a game at West Virginia, you know, oh, that was yeah. fun. 
those games were like just drivable conference games. And, and that's my only issue with this American conference is it's tough. You know, you can drive to Memphis, but that's even a pain. You get to Tennessee and you got three or four more hours, it feels like. Um, that's my only problem with the American because I think the conference itself and the schools in it, the serious schools, have done a darn good job of upgrading their programs. So I, I, ACC is probably the most likely landing spot, if at all. Um, it's probably going to end up being some kind of hybrid, don't you think, between yeah. the American and what's big, left of the Big 12. Well, that, that's I'm not what, sure they're going to find landing spots. Kansas might, and, and, and that's because of their basketball maybe somewhere. But I, I don't know. It, it's, it's really crazy. And now this alliance just happened with the – Big Ten and and the ACC, the Pac-12, and I think they want to try to maybe not see expansion get crazy. Well, and that's the big thing. You talk about that alliance with the AAC and the Big 12. Again, I was at WWT in 2016 when the Big 12 was doing that whole, hey, come, you know, plea for our bid. Yeah. And UC didn't get it. Well, now I think looking back on it, they're in a solid position because – if I had to choose between the AAC and the Big 12, honestly, I think I would probably stay in the AAC, either that or some hybrid of that. I would not go to the Big 12 yeah. currently as is. Yeah, because I, I cuz where is the where is this next contract for the Big 12 or what's left of them, the Big 8 or whatever they're called, the the I think they called them the tag along 8 or something like that. <laughs> where, where's their next big contract coming from in television yeah. because it's not like I mean, you have some pretty good programs, but you, you don't have these big fan base and big markets. You know, Texas obviously has the whole state of Texas, so that's a big one. Oklahoma, same deal there, and they're a national brand. But Oklahoma State, pretty big brand, but not Oklahoma, certainly yeah. not Texas. Um, then you're talking Kansas State, Iowa State. You know, Kansas has it in basketball, but in football they're abysmal. Texas Tech may as well be on Venus. Um, it, it just it. So where where is the next big television contract going right. to come from from those schools? Then you look at the American. You've got Orlando. You've got Cincinnati. You've got Houston. You know you've got Memphis. You've got some sizable markets there. Where if I'm a TV guy, I'm like, yeah. I mean, we'll yeah. see where the eyeballs are when push comes to shove. But that's some pretty big markets there, and I would think those schools left in the big 12 would be dying to get those markets in, in their conference. Well, and the AAC, I think their ESPN contract is worth a billion dollars. So it's mm. not like they're not getting TV contracts. Now I will say I'd much rather play Oklahoma state than say East Carolina. Yep. But I think like you you touched on these markets, you're playing teams in Houston, you're, t- you're playing teams in, um, in Memphis and Tampa and, and Orlando, right. that, that doesn't bring in the same kind of revenue as a team in Manhattan, Kansas. So, right. right. I don't, I don't know. I, I would like to see them. Like you said, I would like to see them in the ACC to bring back a lot of those rivalries. By the way, you say I was a kid in the big East. I'm not that young, George. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember, I remember Compared you to me. Yes. Well, so compared- how old would you have been when the big East blew up? That was I was a sophomore in college. Okay, so you were old enough to drive to road games. Oh yeah, oh we did, and we did. My dad and I traveled. We traveled for the Orange Bowl. 
We, oh, wow. uh, we went, to, I remember when they were in conference USA, George, I mean, yeah. that, I'm old enough for that. So, yeah. And, and conference USA actually served them very well. It was it a did. nice because look, when, when I was, Oh, it was probably late eighties, early nineties. That program was kind of teetering on the brink of not even being around, you know, they were an independent, and these other schools were getting invites. The old Metro Conference didn't have football. Uh-huh. And it, it bothers me because UC and Louisville was always kind of like yeah. connected. And they they got sideways, I think, when UC went to uh, the great Midwest and Louisville stayed in the Metro. But then they got back together. And then they were together in the Big East. And, boy, I, I, I miss that rivalry a lot. I really do. And it galls me that the last Louisville game – the Cardinals won that, that Teddy Bridgewater game. I think. Oh yeah. Oh. And I, I missed that rivalry. I missed, I, I would love to see Bob Huggins at fifth third arena every year. So I'd yeah. like to play West Virginia because they're totally. saying West Virginia and UC could be a package deal to the ACC. And I know people like cap on West Virginia fans. And I've heard some horror stories about games down there that, however, the fans that came up here, to the yeah. UC games were, they were great. Mm-hmm. I love those. I had a ball with those people. And so that that was the beauty of, of of those rivalries. It was close enough, and their fans would come here. Ours would go there. It was a lot of fun, and, and they need to get that back. Exactly. And, you know, there aren't a lot of drivable, drivable games in the AAC. So, no. uh, you know, I would love to be in the ACC. So um, I'm going to ask you one more question because I did promise you about half an hour. But I do want to ask you, I would – I would be stupid if I didn't ask you about the Bengals. Uh, just yeah. kind of give me how are you feeling about the Bengals this year. Well, I'm kind of in the uh, I'm kind of in the six to seven win camp. Yeah, <laughs> I really uh, because I want to see him get it done. Uh, you know, this defense has looked good in the preseason. It's looked, but but none of that's going to matter until this regular season starts. And we see what other teams are doing against them. And, you know, you just can't – too many times I've been fooled by preseason training and, and that. I got over that a long time ago. It's like I got to see when the live bullets start. Um, I've got to see that offensive line play better. I've got to uh-huh. see that coaching staff maybe commit a little more to the run than what they've done in the past couple of years to help Joe Burrow out. And I know sometimes it's just the game tick dictated he had to – drop back so much, but he doesn't need to be throwing 50, 60 times a game. Right. You got Joe Mixon back there. Uh, They have capable backup and change of pace backs. And if you've got a good offensive line, as, as several teams have shown over the years, you can have anybody back there taking the handoff and grind out enough yards to win football games. They've got to have that line in order. I don't know that they do. That concerns me. Um, and then we'll see how quickly Joe Burrow is Joe Burrow again, because I think, and I think he will be, I think, I think he's a tough kid. I think not a lot bothers him like that. Um, I, he, he sees things. I mean, I watching him in college, I remember it was early in his senior year and I'm like, I'm thinking, Holy crap. You know, the Bengals are going to have a high draft pick. They're going to probably draft a quarterback. I'm going to start watching some of these guys. I'm watching this kid. And then I'm hearing these scouting reports about like, well, you know, he doesn't seem to have a good pocket sense that he doesn't feel the pocket. I thought, God, this guy feels the pocket better than anybody, Uh you know. I mean, he just kind of has eyes in the back of his head. And 
And then he sees things before they happen. And, you know, he made some throws for the Bengals last year. I remember one in particular where he put a ball and Tyler Boyd made a great catch. It was like, like a backside catch that I don't know how Boyd caught it. And I don't know how in the world Burrow put it there, but it was, and, and it was like a 10 yard play on third down, but it was incredible. And it's like, my God, that guy has a sense that you're born with. Yeah. You, you just, it's like, he's, you know, and he's a coach's kid, which probably helps develop some of that. But uh, I, I think they can be very good in the future. I really do this year. Let's take a, a, a nice step forward and, and hope it goes well, because I hate to see them go through another coaching change, which it's going to happen probably if, if they don't rack up some wins this year, if they don't at least show improvement because boy, you know, how, how many wins does Zach have in two years? It's like six or something like that. It's, you know, it's, it's gotta be better. Yeah. You mentioned that you are older than me, so I will ask you this question <laughs> <laughs> for the ring of honor. Um, Ken Riley and Ken Anderson, was that, were those the right, the right choices? For me, yes. For me, I said, hallelujah. I mean, I thought, you know, and, and those two should be in the hall of fame as well. Mm-hmm. They, they really should be. Um, I mean, it's just, it's borderline criminal. They're not. The Bengals have one player in the hall. And, and you know, Charlie Joyner, who started with the Bengals, but you can't count him because all his stuff came with the Chargers. But um, and yeah, T.O. It, it's, Don't forget Terrell uh, Owens. T.O. who came. Yeah, he gave him he gave him one okay year here. Uh, boy, that year was a fiasco. Um, but, yes, I think they got it right. And, and Ken Riley should be honored like that. I mean, he was – what drafted in 69 Kenny Anderson obviously was and and they'll fill in the others now but I I think those were the right ones um the the guys who uh, now this is now I'm really Homer Central there's only a couple other guys I would have considered I mean those were my top two without question um my next tier believe it or not and I'm going to catch grief for this probably but it would have included Dave Lapham yeah, because he played so well for so long on a, in anonymous positions, anywhere on the line, anywhere they needed him. But just everything he's done for the Bengals over the years, being on radio. I mean, he's the Joe Nuxall of the Bengals. He knows everything about him. Uh, he, he's really, you know, he sold the team. I know they're doing a better job marketing wise. But for a long time, lap was about all they had selling this team and that you could be positive about. So that that was that that was a guy I thought I hope he makes it in the next class. I know this. His name will be up there one. Oh, yeah, yeah. And well, they have a lot of players they can choose from. So they have Yeah, they, they need, do. They they have, they need to catch up. So I mean, you start yeah, you start going through the wide receivers, Isaac Curtis, Collinsworth, Pickens, mm-hmm. Chad, uh heck even TJ. I mean, they've got they've got some solid wide receivers over the years too. Yeah. The state of Cincinnati sports is one word. The state of Cincinnati sports is stale. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me rephrase... someone to win a title. Right. Let me, let me rephrase that question. The future of Cincinnati sports is promising because it's got to happen sometime. Thank you. I was like, yeah, George, give me but some it, hope. It goes in cycles. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid and I felt so bad for Patriots fans because their team was going through a bad spell. 
who feels bad for Patriots fans now? Right. I mean, it's like, I can't believe this. The Patriots, you know, went through that run with Brady and won every other year. And I used to feel bad for them. And now, I mean, people have to feel bad for us, right? Being in Cincinnati yeah. with what we've done. It's time for the Reds and the Bengals to get back to the big games. Maybe FC Cincinnati will do it. Maybe the Bearcats. We need a final four in this city. We need teams going to championship games because this town, when the Reds or the Bengals or any of them are doing that, it comes to life. And just this playoff, you know, the the excitement around the Reds right now just because they're in a playoff hunt. Imagine 1990 when they went wire to wire, what that was like. George, I'm 28 years old, and I have not seen – a championship in Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah. You're like my kids. They they just are like, when is it ever going to happen? And it's, it's hard for me to preach patience because you know, when I'm in high school, it's the big red machine. Mm-hmm. I remember us taking it for granted. And it's like every year, the reds are going to win every year. And boy, Oh boy. And then it felt like a drought when they had to wait until 1990 to do it. I didn't know what a drought was. Right. We're in yeah. one now, but it's got to turn. <laughs> it's got to. And I, but, but 28 years, I'm still here. I'm still yes. a fan. I refuse to be like that Homer bandwagon fan out there at WWT, Mark Slaughter. <laughs> and, <laughs> and you know what? Promising, I'll take it. So, George, yep. thank you so much. And um, we'll be right back with the rest of the Clayton Castle podcast. Welcome back to the Clayton Castle podcast. I really hope you enjoyed that interview with George Vogel as much as I did. He is such an awesome guy to be around, and I really find myself blessed and humbled to have him as a friend and a mentor in my life. Really, that whole team over at WLWT News 5, Mike Dardis, Cherie Palello, Kevin Robinson, George Vogel, everybody there, they still hold a special place in my heart for everything that all four of them did in my career starting out. So, I was really excited that George agreed to be on the podcast. And as he said, there is hope, there is promise with Cincinnati sports. Like he said, we need to win a championship, and I really feel like that is coming soon. Not this year, but maybe in the next couple of years. Now, as for the blog this week, I have a first post up, which is just a general changes that are coming to the podcast this season. And I also have a post up about George Vogel and what we talked about, including some of my thoughts on what he said and the state of Cincinnati sports as well. If you have followed my career over the years, you know that I have written about the state of Cincinnati sports, particularly how it pertains to our generation, my generation, those of us in our 20s and 30s, how we have not seen a championship, we have not seen winning teams here in Cincinnati, and how really... That needs to change or else those teams are going to lose a whole generation of fans. So I'm going to write a little bit more about that and put it on the blog. You can find the blog at claytoncastlepod.blogspot, 
Com. And as always, you can follow us on Facebook at the Clayton Castle Podcast. And finally, don't forget to actually subscribe to the podcast itself. You can subscribe or follow or whatever you need to do on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Again, thank you all for your support in Season 1. I hope you will continue to support in Season 2. Tell your friends, tell your mama, tell your daddy, tell your kids, tell your aunts, tell your uncles, tell your friends. Tell everyone you know to listen. Thank you for the support. I love you all. And next week, we have an awesome guest. She is a former congressional candidate, a current candidate for Cincinnati City Council. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Jamie Castle. No relation. That's coming next Friday. Be sure to tune in. Thank you all, and have a good weekend.